It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. You're listening to Engage in Truth, and we are so happy to have you with us today. This is Steve Ford, your co-host, along with Pastor John Bornsheen, Senior Pastor at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Well, have you ever asked yourself, how do I know that I really love Jesus? Now, funny you should ask. Jesus himself tells us how we will know. In John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John 14, 21, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. In Luke 6, 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you? So from this, we can glean that knowing the teachings of the Bible and keeping them are important aspects of loving Jesus. How to better understand those teachings is one of the topics that we'll be discussing today. Pastor John? Well, thank you, Dr. Ford. Well, it's so good to be with you here today. We have not only this week and probably the next few weeks to go over some some exciting stuff, (laughs) and it's going to lead into a discussion we're about to have on the history of the Bible. And we're going to really outline for everybody a journey through how the Bible came to be, the canon of God's holy word. We hold it. Maybe we're using it, maybe we're not, as we ought to. As you just referred to, we need to know the commandments of God. There are 1,236 in the New Testament. We know that the Old Testament had 613 ordinances of it, and then, of course, all the prophecies therein. And so sometimes this can be very foreign to us. And sometimes we ask the questions, do we trust what God has given to us? Are these the words of men? Are these the words of God himself? And we know that this is the inspired, infallible word of God. And so over this week and the next few weeks, and then as we explore even beyond that, we're going to be really diving deep into God's holy word. And we want to really talk about the fingerprints of God. And so to do that, we have a very special guest in the studio who's really going to be one of those kind of guests, and and not to put any pressure on you, Bob, (laughs) but one of those kind of guests when I have just gleaned so much from you, your passion, your love of the Lord is in such a, uh, something I, I so value and appreciate that I almost want to just sit back and just let you talk and just have the microphone for three weeks, because as you will hear from Bob here in a moment, Uh, He has such a love of the Lord, and it's quite evident that there is a desire then to go deeper into God's Word, almost to break it apart from a standpoint of taking it from the two-dimensional level and then seeing it come to full 3D fruition where there's layer upon layer that is revealed of God's Holy Word in a way we have never seen before. And, And I just love when I go to books like Cosmic Codes of Chuck Missler and others and how a physicist can break some of these very practical teachings down. We look at the parables. We see the symbols. We see the idioms and all of this come to life in a new and powerful, exciting way where suddenly a zeal for God's word just grows like, like a fountain that is just exploding to new heights. And, I, and that's what my desire is for our listener throughout this series is we go to the origins and look very carefully at God's holy word. And so, Our special guest here in the studio is a dear friend of mine, Bob McCord. He has over 25 years in corporate finance and operations, and he is just a brilliant man. I think with all of his defense sectors and various contracts and everything that he has done, 
that really is just scraping the surface of, I believe, Bob, you should be teaching a seminary somewhere. And I think that you ought to be teaching at the higher academia, most certainly. I, in fact, I'll make a call to Harvard, uh, and you'll see why here in a moment. Because as he unloads on us some of the depth of God's word, uh, we're going to need you in the studio for several weeks, I believe, to even scratch the surface of what we're about to experience and, and go deeper in God's word together. But your passion is so real and you have taken my study of god's word to a whole new level and i am excited to have you in the studio so bob welcome to engage in truth thank you so much john and thank you steve for having me here i'm i'm just thrilled to be here it's a, this is just the pre-talk uh talking before the show started was so much fun so this is, this is just amazing <laughs> we have talked about putting a microphone in the studio for the half hour or so before <laughs> yeah. uh, because sometimes we just have so much fun just exploring and just talking about the things of the lord and i, I have to believe the early church was a lot like that yeah, just sit together you know, break bread together and talk about the things of God. And that's what I want our listener to experience today. So, Bob, I, I just have to at least let our listener know that, uh, you know, when you first came to Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church, uh, right away, I could tell that not only did you love going into the original languages, but even extrapolating from the text some of the, the richness of saying, look how these words are structured look at how the original language brings a new light to this text in a way that perhaps at the surface level you would have never seen and though so truth filled at a surface level in our english language when we take it back to greek and we take it back to hebrew and we go to some of the original language on this we just go wow it's even deeper and more exciting than i could have possibly imagined that passion just resonates, I, I think, for you and I both. And when you came into a room with a study group, it was like, I have got to get him on the radio. Our audience is going to love this. After all, this is Engage in Truth. So let me kick off to you with a, one of the, just one I think is going to be the pace setter of this conversation. I have on my desk the book Cosmic Codes from Chuck Missler, and I have studied so much of Chuck Missler. For those of you who don't know his work, you ought to. Uh, Koinonia House, you can go and find a whole collection uh, from his various works. He's now with the Lord, but what he left to us was a library unlike any other, and Cosmic Codes is one of those kind of books where you see the patterns in Scripture and you see uh, the numerology and things just come to life in a new and exciting way. But how do you see the fingerprints of God through the Bible? Take, take us through some of that, because it's quite clear you see those fingerprints. Absolutely. So there was a, a very weird recommendation that I heard from Dr. Dr. Michael Heiser. And mm -hmm. what he said is, read scripture as fiction. And, and that's, that was strange to me. I was a little upset when he actually first said that, because I said, there's no way this is, this is fiction. But he said, if you think of it as fiction, you actually change your mindset. And the way you change your mindset is you expect a story to unfold. You expect from the very beginning to the very end that there's going to be clues. If you see the man in the green jacket, I'm going to see the man in the green jacket again. Right. And so, so we expect typologies. We expect those things in fiction. We expect a character arc. We expect that there's going to be a plot that ends in, in something that's amazing. And that's why the author writes the story. So the author writes a story for us to be following and intrigued. But when we read things like history, our mind shuts off to that. Our mm -hmm. mind just expects that I'm going to learn a bunch of facts. And those facts um, may not mean anything to me. In fact, if you think about your high school history class, memorizing those facts was probably a little difficult. Mm -hmm. But when you know that there's this character arc and that all these 
pieces are going to pull together, um, it changes your mindset and you start digging into all those facts. Why does he keep repeating the fact that there's an ox sacrifice? Why, does, why is there a heptatic structure to, to scripture where sevens are repeated and tens are repeated and 22s are important? Why are these things important? So we can glean uh, something and then we can dig deeper. In right. fact, uh, the Jews call that a remez, something where you want to dig deeper. If it sounds strange, you want to hook onto that. You want to grab onto that and you want to dig, dig deeper. Yeah. So that's the reason. Um, it's like a good mystery story. So we pay attention to the details because we know the author has structured it for us to learn something. And then we want to enjoy it and we want to share it with others. And that's what we get from the Bible. So you'll hear Chuck, you mentioned Chuck Misler and his Cosmic Codes. He'll often say something like there's 40 authors and there's 66 books that are written by those 40 authors over 2,000 years. But there's an integrated story from start to finish. And the fingerprints are all over it that shows that, it's, that our God is outside of time. And even though there's 2,000 years spreading over those books, that we can glean a message that's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. That's right. Amen. I, and of course, let me throw in here to our listener. They've probably heard me throw out these kind of numbers in the past. But as I've mentioned, the grand weaver and the tapestry that he has woven and still continues to do so. I mean, there's still a story yet to come beyond Revelation 22 after a new heaven and new earth. There's still more to be revealed. Now, of course, we've been given what he has given to us from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. But we see, wow, what a tapestry it is. It was 63,779 cross-references. We can see that across all of those 40 authors, plus, there has been a consistent thematic thread, even at the surface level we see that there are no errors. And that uh, and I'm sure that that's like nails on a chalkboard to you as well. When somebody says, well, look at this discrepancy. Right. And rather than taking the due diligence to go and actually uncover what's before them and examine it, what we find is that there's no discrepancy there. That it was one might be capturing from the Greek, the other from the Hebrew, or the way the count might be was simply from a Babylonian count structure and then giving us the Hebrew count structure, and both are actually correct, but the way maybe you count men in that case versus the full family. And so when you actually dig into it, you find there are no discrepancies. How is that possible? that over 1,500 years, up to 2,000, depending on when some of this literature was given to us, like the book of Revelation, we assume is around 90, 92 AD, could be some, some variants in there. But either way, we're looking at almost a 2,000-year work, and yet there's nothing missing, everything perfect, perfectly woven, as we'd expect from the Grand Weaver. Absolutely. So, should we explore some of those things? Please. Together? Yeah. So, um, one of the things, and, and John, you've done an exceptional job both on this program and in the pulpit talking about fulfilled prophecy mm. um your your overview of daniel was just spectacular but just to quickly reiterate some of those things you know about a third of the bible's prophecy um and there's still prophecies being fulfilled today jesus fulfilled 300 at least during his time on earth mm -hmm. but in recent history we saw the regathering of israel that was prophesied in ezekiel 36 and we also saw which is absolutely astounding is the resurgence, the regeneration of that ancient language spoken by that ancient people. And that was prophesied in Ze Ze uh, Zephaniah 3. Mm. So um, on top of that, um, you know, we talked a little bit about you know, history versus fiction. And if you look at the evidence of design encoded in various places within Scripture, and Chuck Misler talks about this in his book, Cosmic Codes, we can see just in the first 10 patriarchs, and 10 is actually a very important number, 
Uh, it means completeness and divine order. But in those 10 patriarchs, we get a message that's encoded mm. over all those generations. And so let's walk through that real quick. So the first man, most people know that Adam means man. Mm-hmm. Um, but we maybe don't know that Seth means appointed. And Enosh means mortal. Enon is sorrow. Mahalalel is the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means despairing. And Noah means rest or comfort. Mm-hmm. So if you just piece those pieces together without transliterating their names, if you actually translate their names, we get the gospel message that man is appointed, mortal sorrow, and the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring despairing rest or comfort. Mm, that is Absolutely. so awesome. <laughs> so it, talk to us a little bit more. Maybe there's, as you can unravel some of these pieces, because we can even talk about the very first word of Scripture. We'll come back to that. I think over these next few weeks, I'm going to have you explore that with us a little bit further. But when you look at the structure of the Bible, can tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So there is a heptatic structure, and heptatic just ma- means there's a, a layers of seven. Seven mm-hmm. is found throughout the Bible. Um, there's either sevens or there's multiples of sevens. Just some examples. We find uh, seven days of creation, seven feasts of Israel. Uh, Jacob worked seven years for each of his wives. There's seven lamps of the menorah. In Revelation, sevens are absolutely everywhere. There's the seven churches. There's a seven lampstands, seven stars, and seven seats, and horns, and spirits of God. Sevens are everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, in, you know, Chuck Misler proposes this really interesting design challenge for us. It, and let me just read this to you. He says, consider if you had the following assignment. Try designing a genealogy, even from fiction, which meets the following criteria. The number of words in it must be divisible by seven evenly. The number of letters must also be divisible by seven. The number of vowels and the number of consonants must each be divisible by seven. The number of words that begin with the vowel must be divisible by seven. The number of words that begin with a consonant must be divisible by seven. The number of words that occur more than once must be divisible by seven. The number of words that occur in more than one form shall be divisible by seven. The number of words that occur in only one form shall be divisible by seven. The number of nouns shall be divisible by seven. Only seven words shall not be nouns. The number of names in the genealogy shall be divisible by seven. Only seven other kinds of nouns are permitted. The number of male names shall be divisible by seven, and the number of generations shall be 21, also divisible by seven. All of those constraints, amazingly, astoundingly, were all met in the first 11 verses in the Greek uh, in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, there is no way the mathematical probabilities of such a thing. It's just, it's, it's, it's beyond human comprehension. It absolutely. is. Yeah. So if you want to talk about the unique vocabularies. Yes, please. Um, so according to check, there are words in Matthew that occur nowhere else in the new Testament. They occur 42 times, which is seven times six and they have 126 letters, seven times 18. Um, and we see exact multiples of seven. And Chuck says, you know, even if Matthew contrived to do this, the only other way he could do that is having all the Gospels in front of him and writing his last. And so that would be quite a feat. But what mm-hmm. we find is that Matthew is not the only, um, the only book in the New Testament that does that. The Gospels of Mark, Luke, John, James, Peter, Jude, and Paul all have those same features. 
And the only way, again, that it works is if they do it at the end, knowing what everybody else has written. So that is God's hand, absolutely, with the heptatic structure of sevens um, fingerprinted <laughs> through, throughout the New, New Testament. That's incredible. I mean, you'd have to be writing with the intent that you have code woven throughout the entirety of your text and be able to do so in every written language Absolutely. on the earth. And I think that's one thing that Chuck Missler even talked about was the fact, well, we can look at a Greek and Hebrew, Greek, of course, with the New Testament, Hebrew with the old. And yet when you convert that and you transliterate that to various languages and you go through the translation process of that, you still find that the code remains, whether that be the English language. And sometimes we may find in the Greek that one word requires three English words to get there right. to, to convey that idea and thought. And yet we have not broken down the sequence. So somehow this is impervious to the various languages of the earth and with almost 200 countries around the world. And with all these variables that have to be considered, that this, of course, was if the final pen that was given to us in Revelation by way of the Apostle Paul as a revelation of Jesus Christ, even if that was, say, 1900 years ago, if we want to make it a nice round number there, that even with the new languages coming on the scene, we still have the, the code, if you will, fully intact in God's word. How, how can we possibly conceive that this is a work of man? It's just not possible. It's not possible. I mean, we could probably explore just everything you've just shared right there over the next few weeks. And hopefully the listener is going, I need to look into this. And that would be our heart, right? That the Bereans, you go and study this for yourself. You'll see it's there. So I know that on the campuses across America, in fact, you'll see Living Waters Ministries and others as they go out to give the gospel message, being knowledgeable of these things will help to open the doors to hearts and minds. We have to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. And I think that if we just take it from a surface level, now granted, we know that if we open our mouths in faith and we go boldly for Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will give us exactly the words to speak. But there is no reason to be the lazy servant when we have the valuable resources that are before us, the privilege to study the word at this level and if anything, for me, it just gets me more excited to study God's word all the more. And it's clearly coming from you as well. I agree. And, you know, it just it reiterates Proverbs 25, too, which says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search that matter out. Mm. So we can have the glory of kings by searching these things out. Amen. Well, I, OK, let me jump to another option or something you can explore with us a little bit more, uh, because I know right away when you came in and we started meeting together, you had this passion for exploring other biblical, well, texts that support the biblical narrative. So we have our 66 books of the Bible, but after this wonderful discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and all this, this resource that was given to us, and of course we have to be very careful about how we handle non-biblical texts. So often they can be historical, they can be a narrative that perhaps has a little bit of fiction to it, or some uh, understanding about how some of our patriarchs lived. I love hearing even letters that were captured from the patriarchs. And they're not biblical texts. There are extra biblical texts, but they do support often, you'll see they complement and not contradict. And so we have to be very careful, though, like Books of Enoch, where we have different texts from different parts of the world, one in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and of course, one found in Africa. And you look at those two, and sometimes there are some differences. So we understand that they're pinned by men, Though they may still be have some of the Holy Spirit's uh, covering on it, we wouldn't dare say that they're the inspired word that they would be canon text. But 
When you start looking at some of these Dead Sea Scrolls and the rich archive that's now been given to us and the preservation of these things, why does that matter? I mean, from your humble opinion, why study the Dead Sea Scrolls or other texts like it? Right. And those are great questions. And and I've been very cautious in doing those things just because (laughs) the way I was brought up is like, you know, you only study the Bible and there's there's other texts that uh, may lead you astray. And, And by the way, um, those texts may lead you astray. There's a lot of stuff out there that's either fake, um, it was, it's, mm. the author is not who they claim to be, but there are a lot of really good works. Um, as long as we're not elevating them to the level of scripture, um, you can learn a lot of history, you can learn a lot of context, um, you can learn what the people at those times believed. Even if, sometimes if they're forgeries, it gives us a context of what was going on in people's minds at the time. And so, if we have a firm foundation in Scripture, we can use that to sift gold in many places, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, as long as that, that foundation is clear, as long as that's firm, you can delve into some of these other areas and glean uh, very important insights. Is there, uh, would you have recommendations for our listener that, I know you and I have bounced some ideas from Enoch and Gad the seer right. and yeah. the, the testament of the patriarchs and others. Do you have like a, a favorite that you think would really enhance their study? So um, I absolutely love the testament of the patriarchs. And, mm. and that is one, actually the Pharisees, that was a big deal because the Pharisees did not believe that the testament of the patriarchs was current at the time that Jesus was around. So the Essenes held that in high esteem. The Pharisees held the Torah in high esteem. And so that was one of the major contentions between the two. The Essenes looked at the Testament of the Patriarchs um, as almost commentary on the Torah. Mm. And so, so I, I hold it in high esteem, not like the canon, not like scripture, but uh, we learned so much from the Testament of the Patriarchs. These are essentially the last words of the Patriarchs of our faith. And so those are important words that they're passing along to their children, right? Um, we learn things about, you know, there's a, in, the, in the Testament of Benjamin, there's a prophecy that Paul was going to be here. Um, you know, one of his right. children, and that's absolutely an amazing prophecy, and it gives us insight into, um, you know, Levi and what, you know the priesthood that was coming. He understood that at the time that he wrote the testament. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah. anyways, th- that, I, that's absolutely. I've right. actually given that book to couples who may have had a little friction going on in their marriage, and it's amazing. You think as you introduce this whole subject, this whole series that we're going through when we remove the idea that we're just going into history and we start to hear the heart, people who've walked with God, people who have learned from their journey, who have fallen and risen again because God pulled them out of the miry clay like Reuben, being very transparent. Here's where I failed and here's how God lifted me up again. And when you hear these stories from people that almost seem put on a pedestal scripturally and, and rightfully so we look to what God has done in through their lives and we're excited by that but sometimes we can artificially or unintentionally elevate them as though they were perfect and and they have the gold medal while I'm hoping and scraping that I even get to the podium in some way rather what we find is that God has done exactly what he told us to do or what he would do in first Corinthians that he'd use the foolish the broken the weak to do his mighty works through and you can relate with these individuals and suddenly it's like wow i get that i, I and, and look all this time has passed we even hear from moses 3400 years ago and his words are just as relevant as then as they are today absolutely and so i love it i know that we're out of time on this but we're going to spend the next few weeks really getting deeper into the origins examining the foundations of scripture looking at the fingerprints of god 
hearing a little bit more about why Hebrew matters. I mean, why should we know the original language? Maybe use your Strong's Concordance a little bit more than you have. Uh, Blue Letter Bible is a great resource in this. Why does it matter to do these things and be studious of God's Word and the joy you'll find that is right there at your fingertips? So we want to encourage you to come back, check this out again, listen to Engage in Truth, share this program with your friends, family alike, and be sure to tune in again because we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about this. We hope we've piqued your interest at least. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are on Sunday at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care. <music>